From climate change to political corruption and authoritarianism, leaders of protest movements share a common dilemma. How to achieve impact when existing parties and institutions cannot be trusted? Welcome to Gogorin, the European podcast with authors and editors of culture journals from throughout Europe and beyond. Eurozine is an online magazine and a network of 90 partners. Journals, magazines and associates from Belgium to Belarus, from Norway to Bulgaria, publishing literature and analyzing politics, reflecting on culture and bringing diverse voices to a joint conversation. I'm editor-in-chief Reka Kingapop, and in today's episode you can listen to a conversation on protest culture with protest organizers themselves. Helena Marshall from Fridays for Future Frankfurt, Germany. Dora Pop from the voice platform Hungary, and Radu Vanku of the ICU movement in Sibiu, Romania. The discussion was hosted by political scientist Klaus Legevi at the 30th European Meeting of Cultural Journals on the 2nd of November 2019 in Berlin. The conference was titled Redeem the Promise, Europe 1989. You can read Klaus Legevi's essay How to Get Rid of Autocrats in Eurozine. There's a link to that in the description. Overcoming fragmentation among activists and within parliamentary forces is paramount for protest movements whose ultimate goal is policy change. Helena Marshall from Fridays for Future underlines. There is a strong European call for change. International attention helps make corrupt leaders accountable, says Romanian activist Radu Vancu. But the question remains, how can political forces be trusted given the radical disappointment characterizing most protest movements? Hope lies within thinking about society as a community, says Hungarian civic campaigner Dora Pop. Let me introduce myself. I'm Klaus Legevi, a political scientist, uh, and I will introduce uh, our great speakers here. Let me read first a quote. Protest is when I say that and that doesn't suit me. Resistance is when I make sure that what does not suit me no longer happens. Protest is when I say I'm not part of it anymore. Resistance is when I make sure that everyone else does not join. It's a quote, and it's a dangerous one, it's a toxic one, by Ulrike Meinhof in 1966, when she was still a hero of the rebellion. Her conclusion was imported from a panel or a teach-in, as we said at the time, was the Black Panthers in Berlin. Protest is when I say that and that doesn't suit me. Resistance is when I make sure that what doesn't suit me no longer happens. And it was dangerous because it served as a basis for her building the, the, the Red Army fraction, and it was toxic because it was followed by a verdict a couple of months later, of course we will shoot. But nevertheless, it's an acceptable definition of resistance and seems to be quite topical in these days. But we will not continue with Ulrike Meinhof. We will continue with our panel. Um, in our evening session, we have, forgive me, to forget 89 for a moment, forget 89 for a moment, and develop Geistesgegenwart, as Karl Schlögel said, a presence of mind, and indeed, as he also said, a thinking without banister, without these prescriptive lessons of older resistance moving during the 60s and 70s and around 89. I think we have to leave the comfort zone 
Uh, I remind that two days ago, the council, city council of Dresden has proclaimed an anti-Nazi emergency. Wow. An anti-Nazi emergency in Dresden, one of the places of the revolution in 89. We all have not just to interpret the world, we also have to do something and change it. In, all, in the US, all kind of movements, particularly of young and youngest people, desperately try to prevent another presidential term of the crook in the White House. In my view, three main questions arise. The relation between protest movements and parliamentary forces. Two, the relationship to representative democracy and coalition building in general. And the European impact and outreach of all this, because we are a European network here. And we are privileged tonight to have three representatives of very successful protests and resistance movements in Europe with us. Elena Marshall from Fridays for, for Future in Germany, Rado Vanku from Sibiu, Romania, and Dora Papp from Hungary, Budapest, who will present themselves in short statements telling us about their activities in their respective countries and cities now. As you see, um, we have organized an open fishbowl here for older people like me, this is a format where the speakers sit in the center, as we do in the moment, in the center of concentric circles where any member of the audience, that is you, can at any time, at any time, occupy this empty chair, the black one, and join us. You can also step in when there is no free chair, meaning that one of us will be giving up the center position. And ideally, but this never happened before, we four will all at a certain moment merge into the public, the audience, and we have a lively discussion, still moderated by me, I guess. But that's all. So, Dora, to start with you. Um, we met a couple of months ago in Budapest, had a conversation about the chances of the opposition, particularly in the municipal elections, which have taken place meanwhile. And there, uh, not just a miracle, but something very, good happened. The mayor of Budapest is no longer a Fidesz member, it's um, one of the opposition. And you were in your movement, which you would explain a bit to us, uh, Ahang, you were fighting for this, that this could happen. And this not just happened in Budapest, it also happened in other places in, in Hungary. Whereas still uh, the Fidesz party and uh, Orban have an overwhelming majority of people behind them. But nevertheless, let's talk about success. Let's talk about hope. Let's talk about what can be done. So what has been done that in, in this year, 2019, to make this success happen? Yes, thank you uh, for for the invitation. Actually, yes, back back then when we met uh, last year, that was a big question: what is going going on? Uh, what is going to happen? Um, and uh, several weeks after the change in in Budapest and the ray of hope that is is basically uh, a big success for for the opposition right now in Hungary. Uh, of course, I I see more more wide rays of lights or several rays of lights uh, coming to the, to the country and, and not just to the country, but also to, to the region. But um, yeah, I would like to go back a bit when we are talking about Hungary. I'm in a really lucky position that uh, Philip Ter uh, has already uh, mentioned all um, the, well, 
most, most of the disappointing things that, that can be mentioned about Hungary when, when we think about Mr. Orban, uh, whose name was mentioned like 20 times this morning and also 10 times uh, the, the session before, uh, I have to say that I don't want to... Um, give him more coverage uh, this evening. But uh, unfortunately, I still live in a, uh, in a country that is uh, ruled by a two-third uh, Fidesz majority. And uh, Budapest is the first crack on the shell of, of uh, illiberalism, illiberalism. And, um, and um, the desperate uh, fight of, of, the, uh, of activism is, is basically uh, come to life or, or can come, come to light uh, no one, uh, from no one. And uh, 2022 is a really big question for, for uh, not just the opposition, but the whole activism in, in uh, Hungary. Because most, most, of the, most of the actual definitions that we use uh, concerning Hungary is illiberal democracy, autocracy, oligarchy, nepotism, corruption, shrinking civic space, uh, I don't know, serious harms and uh, serious harms suffered by uh, uh, the rule of law and democratic institutions. And uh, for example, according to the, um, the 2017 report of the Freedom House, Hungary is only uh, partly free. And I don't even want to think uh, about how many points Hungary is going to lose uh, with the new government-controlled conglomerate funded in 2018. Uh, uniting more than uh, several hundred media outlets, uh, which uh, right now shape information sharing and uh, provides 24-7 propaganda uh, in the air and in the pre uh, printed media in uh, Hungary. I would say partly free is just like uh, getting uh, 44 points of 100 in in the uh, free, uh, Freedom House report. So uh, and I and I didn't even mention uh, or or neither neither Mr. Thayer mentioned criminalization of homelessness, uh, dragging marginalized groups uh, like Roma people, women, um, uh, refugees, and asylum seekers in the in the center of attention by by uh, pointing at them as uh, the sources of threats uh, in the country. Um, I, I mean the government saying that uh, the country is facing uh, threats by these people and uh, in order to uh, exploit people's hatred and, and lack of solidarity. Uh, and they success successfully transformed it uh, into political power and, and gained uh, economic power while uh, the opposition uh, is captured in a really pitiful um, identity crisis for for a decade now. Um, I'm really I'm really not uh, happy about saying this, but but this is really this is really uh, connected to the uh, crisis of values that um, other panels were were debating about. Um, before that. Um, and uh, before I, I would I would continue painting this back black sheep of Europe even deeper and deeper dark. I would like to say that uh, the movement um, Ahang I was I was working for in the last two two years um, is a digital organizing platform and uh, a platform that stepped out of of other organizations um, and was first in the line uh, that uh, started uh, promote. Uh, 
digital uh, organizing and political organizing as, as uh, the first step towards change, uh, which happened with uh, the primaries in Budapest. Um, prim the primaries are not uh, an institution in Hungary. Uh, there is no regulation for that. And uh, this platform, basically, uh, a hung Ahong means the voice, uh, so people's voice. And uh, this platform uh, took, uh, undert undertook uh, the responsibility of, of organizing this um, um, democratic institution, a brand, brand new democratic institution uh, that the primaries, but we were, we were also um, experiencing with other uh, democratic decision-making uh, procedures. Uh, I could mention like the methodology that the platform is using is really, really similar uh, uh, to that what Campact uh, is doing in, in uh, Germany or what Aufstein is doing in Austria or what uh, 38 Degrees is, uh, is doing in, in uh, the UK or Move On in the US. So uh, it's just like knowledge sharing. Basically, these platforms uh, share the methodology uh, we, are work uh, they, uh, we are working with. And... Um, and there was a possibility to continue it also in, in uh, Hungary. But um, I also have to mention that, that, um, that beyond, beyond these uh, definitions, beyond, beyond uh, the, the ray of hope, uh, we have to see that that is just not enough to make a crack uh, on the shell, shell of illiberalism, but we have to change uh, how we think about society. It's, it's not just solidarity, it's, it's, it's building a community. It, it really takes building a community around the issues. Um, that that people are uh, that people care about that would change their lives. So it's just not not, not just when they are affected by by certain problems, but how they can show solidarity with each other. And uh, if we turn to if we turn to the notion of eighty nine, I think it's really important. Um, and I think it's really visible here that uh, there are two of us Hungarians uh, right now in this in this conference also. But uh, but I but but I think uh, concerning uh, revolutions in in I, I, the revolution in, in um, revolutions in Hungary, uh, and and what I think about '89 as well is that. Um, and what is the lesson of 89, basically, is that we should stop lying about the, the so-called Venda in Hungary, because uh, there might have been an eco economic change in the country, but thinking about uh, the society uh, culturally, how, how a community is basically uh, should be built up, and how we, how we should think about ourselves as a community, what is, the, what is our identity as a, as a nation, these did not change. So basically, um, uh, these are these are and these are really big problems when when we talk about um, changing uh, or the actual role of the opposition, because uh, there is only right wing popul populism in Hungary, which gave um, a, uh, um, a fixed um, and really successful narrative for for. Uh, Building up a nation, and that's that's where basically Orbán's success is, uh, uh, or and that's what the center of Orbán's success is as well. Uh, that he is not just a strong leader, but a leader who who really uh, took care of giving um, 
really simple, uh, really simple message that people can identify with. So I think this is really something that that we have to uh, consider, and and also dissent and um, and also the opposition have to has to consider that uh, what can they offer beyond fight, and what can they offer beyond um, um, demolishing a a dictatorship. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Radu Vanku is a writer and a professor from Sibiu in Romania, um, and he can tell us some more um, about examples of protest and resistance in Romania. The movement he's active in is a co-founded, I guess, is uh, We See You. <coughs> we See You. Uh, what does it stand for? Um, well, um, We See You means that uh, the politicians cannot hide behind walls, behind curtains, and do their uh, tricky corruption uh, business as usual because we see them, they cannot hide from us. Sibiu, the city where I come from, has this peculiar architectural characteristic. Uh, the roofs have this kind of air holes in the shape of elongated eyes, and it's a trademark of the city. So we use the image of the eye in our logo to say, we see you, you cannot hide from us, we know what you are up to. And uh, we started this protest in December 2017, in 11 December, uh, because the whole year has been a year of protests in Romania. In uh, January 2017, the leading party, the governing party, which is a so-called Social Democrat Party, which, by the way, is a uh, three-words lie or a triple lie. It's not, it's not social because it's, uh, it's uh, populist. It's not democratic, it's kleptocratic. And it's not a party, it's a gathering of mobsters. But nevertheless, okay, let's call it Social Democrat But it was Democrat part party. of the Socialist International. Uh, it was a very part long. of the Socialist, uh, yes. And it has been kicked out exactly because of corruption, which is a good thing that the Social uh, branch of the European Parliament has done. So the governing party was led by a guy, Livio Dragnea, who has been already condemned for uh, uh, election fraud, luckily for him with a suspended sentence. And he had a second trial ongoing for corruption, for abuse of power, abuse in service. And uh, fake jobs, actually. He hired at an institution which was supposed to work for uh, institutionalized children, he hired uh, two persons who were working for his party, but were paid for, for, from public money without uh, working one day, one second in that institution. So it was obvious that he, he was going to be convicted. He put some of his guys to calculate the money stolen from that institution. It, it, was, it was not an enormous sum. It, it was not millions of dollars, it was 200,000 euros, which is quite big, nevertheless. And he intended to pass a law by emergency decree, uh, which to stipulate that anybody stealing less than 200,000 euros from public money is pardoned. I mean, the infraction, the, this crime was taken out of the penal code. And there was a journalist who found out about his intention, because he did not speak publicly about it in the, because there were elections in December 2016, and they never said one word about modifying the laws of justice. And uh, on the contrary, they promised hospitals, they promised eight hospitals. Uh, in two th they were elected in 2016 with this promise. 
now it's 2019, no, not one of them has been built yet. They promised uh, highways, not one meter of highways were uh, built uh, on the country. They stopped all the constructions of highways and so on. But uh, there was no word about justice. In uh, January 2017, this journalist finds out about the intention, makes them public. The president, Klaus Johannes, who is uh, a liberal, goes to the government meeting and words them, do not pass such a law, because this is obviously anti-European, anti-democratic, it's ridiculous and absurd and outrageous, so do not pass this law. They deny, and in night time, they pass the law. In night, in night time, like thieves, that was what the street was going to shout. Uh, in the, because we were all out in the streets immediately. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Romanians. Uh, at the peak, uh, this was in uh, February 1st, 2017. In February 5, we were 600,000 people in the streets in Romania shouting against them and asking for the government to resign and for this guy to uh, withdraw. Uh, they did not resign. Uh, we discovered, I mean, there was there were some judges involved in our uh, rebellion, even though the job description of a judge forbids him to go into the streets. But it was too serious, and some of them risked their jobs and came into the streets with us. And one of them observed that uh, there was this 10 days buffer that they forgot. They are also stupid, lucky for us. They forgot this 10-day buffer in the uh, corpus of the emergency decree, which said that the law only enters into force after 10 days. It's a measure usually put into uh, emergency decrees in order to, if there is something misfit or unfit, you have time to, uh, to correct it, yes. So they forgot this buffer there. So we ask that within this 10 days buffer, the emergency decree is withdrawn and they resign. They did half of the job. They withdraw the decree, but they did not resign. And we kept protesting for one year, and we saw that they learned how to cope, how to tackle, how to manage the pressure of marching protests, of traditional protests. And we said, we must invent a protest which they cannot manipulate, which they can, don't know how to deal with. And we came with a formula of this um, daily protest, like a Chinese droplet. So uh, 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 we announced that every day at noon, we are going to be in Sibiu, in front of the headquarters of the Social Democrat Party, uh, and uh, warn them in this silent protest that we see them. We know that they still work in order to annihilate the rule of law in Romania, because they did not stop with that. They withdraw the emergency decree, but they tried to uh, pass some other laws via the parliament, which to decriminalize whole chapters of the penal code, including, including sexual harassment, for example. I mean, they, they made a sort of inventory of all the guilts, all the legal charges, all the legal problems they had, and they said, okay, we will decriminalize all these things, okay? Uh, so we knew they didn't stop, and uh, we said, okay, we will protest every day at noon in front of your party until you stop, you resign, and we re-become a European country with the rule of law active in it. And we have been protesting for 669 days, continually, day by day, until the government fell two weeks ago. And we decided to suspend the protest because now the new government is going hopefully to be installed on Monday. And if they obey, if, if they do what we have asked them, we will leave them alone. 
If not, we will be back in the streets because now people have learned how to protest, have learned that protests are effective because if you draw international attention on them, uh, they respond, the politicians respond, even though they, they pretend not to care. It's their usual weapon to pretend that they don't care about protests. But they do, because international pressure, European pressure is very effective. And this is why Europe for us was not something abstract. It was something very uh, concrete, having a headquarters in Brussels and Strasbourg and so on, and putting pressures, pressure on, on our politicians and forcing them to withdraw uh, their uh, outrageous intentions. It was something very concrete with concrete effects. And this is why we stood in, in the streets hoping to become a European country again. It was not an abstraction, it was not something aspirational, it was something that we knew what it is and uh, uh, we wanted to be there. Uh, Helena Marshall um, also knows how to organize a huge protest uh, movement in Germany for a long time. She's from Fridays for Future in Germany, and this is not just a German movement, it's elsewhere. What was your recipe for success, and was, what does stand, uh, Fridays for Future stand for? Um, well, generally, the goal is that effective policy is passed all over the world to combat the climate crisis, because... We are in a place right now that we really do not have time to lose. And I feel like everyone in the movement kind of always has like this ticking clock in their head because we have clear planetary boundaries and tipping points. And if we pass them, which will be at around 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, then we can't really do anything about it anymore because then it will be like a ball that has crossed the tip of the mountain and is just rolling downwards. And no matter if, how many emissions we reduce after that, we, we it will just continue rolling downwards. And I feel like um, this sense of urgency has just been amplified. And um, obviously, Greta Thunberg started striking in August of 2018. And this, um, through press and through her speech at the COP in, um, I think, in Poland last year, um, she just inspired so, so many people, including me. And I, I saw this speech. I saw that she was striking um, in Sweden and... I kind of said, we need to do this in Frankfurt as well. And um, so in December of 2018, so almost a year ago now, we started the first strikes in Frankfurt and we were 30 people the first week. And um, we were striking in, I think, under 20 cities in Germany. So really not that big. Um, but somehow we just kept doing it and we said, okay, let's just do this again next week. We'll see each, we'll see each other next Friday. And um, I think, meanwhile, uh, on today, Saturday, yesterday was the 46th Friday of strikes. Um, we've coordinated internationally. So this movement on the 20th of September was in over 120 countries worldwide. And um, I mean, we've, mobil we've somehow managed to mobilize so many people with our simple message of we just want a future, which is honestly not a lot to ask and should not not be something we have to ask for but because of the circumstances we've been forced into the situation and we've been forced to act and we've we mobilized 1.4 million people into the streets of germany on the 20th september and it was no longer just students skipping school but we um campaigned to get as many adults and as many people as possible from all walks of life and from all um 
all all pieces of society to come and strike with us and protest with us and tell the government that they they are standing behind us and that they support our demands and um sadly on that day in germany the klimapäckchen was announced and that was kind of just a slap into slap in the face of these 1.4 million people protesting because it was i mean it has nothing to do with science it has nothing to do with the 1.5 degrees agreement that we signed in paris and um i guess that's just a sign that we need to keep going and we need to keep protesting and that's why already the next international um date is set for the 29th of um november um to try and put some pressure on the cop 25 which is now in spain as it was just moved shortly and um yes i mean it just keeps getting more urgent every single week and um Yeah. Um, do you also think about civil uh, ungehorsam, civil resistance, in 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 terms of like uh, extinction rebellion is proposing uh, for a while? I mean, do, is this also an option for you? I mean, skipping school is is already civil disobedience. It was it's a clear break of the rules, which in the first three months was. Um, very annoying because a lot of people wanted to talk to us about skipping school and not about the climate crisis, which is what we actually want to talk about. <laughs> um, and um, obviously after 10 months of doing that, it's not, it, you won't get the same reaction anymore. It's now kind of, it's very sadly, it's normal now that students are skipping school on Fridays. And um, I think of, there will obviously be new options that we look at. How can we continue to stay in the public eye? How can we continue to put pressure on our politicians? And um, obviously civil dis disobedience is one method to do that. Another method would, which is probably what we're going to be doing a lot on the 29th of November is to be um, as aesthetic as possible. So do very like artful um, forms of protest that um, are just create images that you kind of stop and think and stare at and um, Yeah, so I think that, obviously, that's going to happen. Yeah, thank you very much. I think this also needs a hand, or? <laughs> um, my question to you is, if environmental um, concerns are also, act, uh, also present in, in, in your protest movement, is this an issue, or is it an issue for later? Um. Yeah, um, I think it's an issue for us in in the everyday life. Um, but in Hungary, uh, most of the, most of uh, the environmental campaigning is uh, basically occupied by by other organizations like Greenpeace and uh, and uh, Friends of the Earth. And um, and uh, this is this is basically something that that's really reached the level of uh, going to to the front door of people. So it's not anymore which organization is is uh, uh, taking their fair share of the market, but rather rather that uh, people by their kitchen table, uh, parents talking to their children, uh, whether they should skip school or not. And even in, in, in Hungary, it's also um, what uh, the voice platform was connected to was a student, a student strike uh, that was actually um, 
uh, the students were motivated uh, by by uh, Fridays for Future, and they were taking steps toward um, uh, changing uh, the changing of the education system. There was a new law. And then they, uh, when they saw what is happening with Fridays for Future, they said that okay, they we do not only have to act for the environment, but but uh, for for changing our school. So we see that there are changes we don't want, and and we will uh, go back. But I just wanted to also refer back to this uh, notion of uh, we were together for several months, and then uh, the climax of of campaigning is always yeah, it's it's changing. I I usually call it the uh, post concert post-concert depression, when we don't know how to go on, uh, because it was so exciting for several hours or several days or several months. Uh, but I think this is this is somehow when you are forming a movement, actually. So when you find in your everyday life the place for that issue, and this is, this is what uh, digital organizing can help with, because you can be present in, in your members' life, in, in, your, in your followers' life. This is something that they have to, this is something that is called active participation when you when you actually can uh, show people how they change their own life for the sake of the issue and that's how students are actually uh, helping this issue because because it's so much present in their own family's life that not just they themselves but their parents and their uh, nephews and and their uncles and their grandparents are with them in this issue and of course they are making politicians angry as well because yeah of course as Radu said politi politicians of course, um, pay attention. If there are a lot of people on streets, in case of Hungary, there were um, a wave of demonstration that was so small that the maximum number of people who went on streets was 200. And uh, in, and even though that campaign could change um, uh, a law, basically, uh, it was uh, a home care campaign when when families uh, providing care for their disabled and and terminally ill relatives, um, and uh, they didn't get the minimum wage in Hungary, and only those families went on, went on the street to the parliament continuously several times uh, within half a year, and there was so much tension around the topic that after half a year, uh, the parliament had to, had to issue a new regulation for the families. So I think it's not just the amount of people, but of course, uh, whether uh, that, that's also a question how essential the topic is that you are with, and and environmental topic is, is that essential that you have to take care about it. Is Romania? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, environmental activists are part of this protest because uh, the success of the protests in the last two or three years uh, also uh, um, lies in the fact that there are several layers of protests that overlapped. Uh, in 2012 to 2013, the first protest, the first major protest in Romania was exactly due to environmental causes. There is this, uh, one of the most important gold reserves in Romania is in a mountain called Roșia Montana. And there is uh, a gold corporation which wanted to exploit it with cyanides and, you know, to destroy actually the environment there. It was a huge protest. Uh, two years afterwards, there was a protest for the healthcare system. There was a fire in a, in a club in Bucharest. 65 people died because the club was... Uh, the, 
it was not allowed to function, but corruption made it possible for it to function. Uh, corruption also made very inefficient the interve intervention of the emergency uh, uh, paramedics and so on. Corruption in hospitals, for example, in hospitals we discovered, I mean some journalists discovered, that they sold pure water as disinfectant, you know, and people died in hospitals because disinfectant was absent. And so on, it was, it was this kind of corruption in the healthcare systems that took into streets some other protesters. And in the protests starting 2017, all these groups of protesters, environmental activists, healthcare system protesters and so on, and some other people who have never been into the streets, united their forces and created this huge mass of protesters against the Social Democrat Party. So part of us are environmental activists, but we can see that, I mean, it was only something prioritizing, you know? I mean, it was prioritary to stop them first because if they passed these laws which uh, eliminated crime from, from the penal system, Romania was not a governable country anymore. It would have been a jungle, actually. What's a country without a penal code? So we know that after solving this problem, we will turn our attention back to environment, back to healthcare, and so on. But it was a matter of priorities, not uh, so this is not, not either or, but let's unite, solve problems one by one. Um, Helena, you organized a conference, I think, in, uh, in September, uh, reaching out to, for example, um, trade unions uh, to enlarge the basis of your, your protest. And not just parents and scientists for future, you also reach out for other organizations, uh, non-governmental organizations, trade unions. Can you talk a bit about this? Yeah. Um, so the the motto of the September global climate strike in Germany was "Alle fürs Klima," so everyone for climate, and that was the point was kind of to touch on this aspect of the climate crisis will affect everyone sooner or later, no much no matter how much money they have or where they live or what they do, that the climate crisis will have effects on them and the point was kind of to to get all these people who are all going to be affected eventually or their children will be affected to basically unite and sh put pressure on governments because um, maybe in some aspects they seem more dangerous because they can vote. I mean, I'm 17, I cannot vote yet, but um, all the adults behind us are voting right now and are going to be voting next years. And I f think that um, causes um, politicians a lot more distress. But I was actually going to comment on two other aspects because you were talking about how um, politicians basically pretended to ignore the protests but acted. And I've kind of had the opposite experience because in the last month, so many politicians have told me how great I am and it's so horrible because they, they tell us, oh, what you're doing is so wonderful and you've inspired us and now we're going to enact legislation and we're so, we're so changed because of what you're doing and then they don't change anything. And that happens not just with politicians but also with bank executives. We, go to, we were at the, um, the, the general meeting of Deutsche Bank and we told them, you're investing in coal and you're investing in, the, in, in destroying our future. And then the next, the answer of the of the of the um, CEO was, yes. I just wanted to tell you how great it is what you're doing and how you're inspiring a a a, a change in our society. And it's just, it's kind of um, 
it's a huge problem because what do you, what do you say to that if you, if you keep getting poured over with compliments and and everyone telling you how wonderful you are without changing anything and uh, and that's kind of just kind of a, a barrier we've come up to again and again and there's the same thing when the when the Bundesregierung pres uh, presented their their climate plan that they were saying how Fridays for Future had affected them so much and how they were going to actually follow through with the Paris Climate Agreement. And that just is not what factually happened. Um, just, uh, <laughs> just a quick note, there is this Climate Act in Parliament now, and there was a phrase in this uh, Article 9 saying that um, climate negotiations or deliberative process around the Climate Act should include uh, organizations like Greenpeace and others, but also citizens, Bürgerinnen und Bürger. And exactly this passage has been eliminated. And we're fighting now to get it back into the law. The Green Party is trying to, to, to put it back into the proposition of the, of the government. It's interesting that citizens, you are citizens, uh, eliminated after all these, uh, these protests. I mean, we were talking, somebody brought up the, the, the phrase of permissive tolerance. Uh, uh, Herbert Marcuse said this, and the alternative was a große Weigerung. I don't know how to express this in, uh, in English. Große Weigerung means a great denial is... Uh, Rebuttal, yeah. So this was his answer to this uh, in, 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 in 67. Nevertheless, I would like to ask you to, um, um, many people uh, argue this is just a middle class thing, what you're doing. And I know that, for example, in Hungary, there, is, there, are, um, there are thoughts how to include trade unions, working class people into the alliance. Does this work? Um, well... I have to admit, it is a middle-class thing that that these platforms are doing. So, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say otherwise, uh, because how organizing is work, of course, um, like a, pla uh, a platform like the Voice, uh, uh, it's a microfunded. But for example, Campact, that we were talking about this uh, uh, pre uh, earlier, uh, when you when when the, when a platform when an organization is member-funded, then of course there is uh, there is a pressure, there is a need. Uh, uh, to also pick topics that that are reflecting uh, the members uh, the members' needs and the ma and the members' point of view. So um, there's when it comes to the next step uh, when when these platforms when these uh, movements can actually go to a next phase where they educate their members, when, where they educate uh, society. So can they risk educating? Can they, can they be the ones who are going to uh, confront people with, the, uh, with taboos, with, with the less comf uh, comforting uh, topics? And, and of course, it's a, it's a really big question in, in Hungary. Uh, most of the topics that, uh, that I uh, was working with uh, are uh, basically representing um, um, marginalized uh, groups uh, in the last um, um, couple of um, years, uh, also connecting to cultural work as well, and um, and it's and it's pretty hard to to um, uh, go against the wall 
that that uh, society that that between society and decision decision makers uh, have been have been built. But uh, but in several cases uh, we can see and uh, and and of course uh, Ahan could see and several movements in Hungary could see and, and I think also in Romania uh, and Poland uh, and Austria um, this is another uh, other case uh, how how can we reach out to to the marginalized groups to to organize themselves but that's another kind of that's an, that's a new profession that's another kind of uh, profession so um, because there is not just the barrier of of the need to self sustain an organization but also the tools that these platforms are using are digital tools so uh, you cannot say in Hungary that uh, 10 million people have laptops, mobile phones, and uh, and actually are are using them or or digitally active. So um, these these are these are taking times. These these uh, processing uh, processes uh, take decades in order to invite the whole uh, community within. Uh, but for example, the voice platform is is present in small communities as well. This is a combination. The method of, of the platform is a combination of digital organizing built on community organizing. And one of the first campaigns that I was working on was was in uh, in um, uh, segregated settlements in Roma settlements in Hungary, and uh, we organized a "Don't Sell Your Vote" campaign, which basically was about um, um, the first democracy issue that was raised in in those communities. Uh, the only message uh, around the elections in two, not just in 2018 but before that in these communities is just one politician or one representative or not even a representative of, of a party appearing in the village and and uh, and asking people to sell their votes because uh, yeah with 5000 forints which equals less than 10 uh, a bit more than 10 euros uh, they can they can easily be bought out uh, in in such in such circumstances, it's totally normal. And in this in this uh, campaign, we could see that going to the settlements, going to the villages, going to small uh, cities, is uh, just the very first step, and, and not in in most of the cases, and not even successfully uh, mobilizing for the opposition. And the first reason why we uh, why we couldn't uh, successfully mobilize for the opposition is that people didn't know the opposition at all. So, for example, and this is this is the media freedom issue in Hungary that most of the people in the countryside couldn't even reach out to information that any other parties than Fidesz uh, uh, actually exist in Hungary. So uh, the comp so so the more we more we enter the uh, the, um, the bubble outside the middle class outside in environmental issues outside uh, uh, issues uh, concerning whether uh, a better school uh, should be uh, uh, built or or should be preserve uh, some uh, some human rights or whatever infrastructural pro problems are also uh, the problems of the middle class then we enter a territory that is in in most cases in campaigning uh, is unknown, and then uh, there comes the uh, the relevance and the importance importantness of uh, social work, and that is something that we also have to learn. And I myself also, and the platform also had to uh, work. Uh, um, and I am going to finish it right now because this is something that in Hungary the housing movement. 
is really strong with. And uh, one of the successes in Budapest uh, basically was that a, a new mayor in the in one of the local mis uh, districts uh, was um, was um, a former uh, uh, the campaign of the lo new local mayor was uh, run by a former uh, movement leader of the housing uh, of the housing uh, movement housing poverty against housing poverty movement in Hungary. And this is a huge success for for all the civil society organizations. Uh, um, Showing that that uh, civic participation is indeed needed in, in politics, and we have to be the ones who are not just confronting the politicians um, with with the issues, but who are also taking part in in politics in in an everyday level. And and the, and this glass box uh, feeling that you have with the banks is just basically a tactic that you can tackle if uh, if there are if you can uh, if you can activate more and and motivate and and mobilize more and more people who will come from them that we are not going to step into the, that glass box which is basically surrounded by your empathy and and uh, this kind of a uh, more and more uh, positive messages yeah thanks a lot i think we have to stop here uh, it was a wonderful evening about hope uh, i think uh, this worked well uh, you see three examples wonderful examples of fighting for the right cause uh, and uh, a fourth one um, and um, um, it, it gives me an opportunity for a personal note uh, sometimes people like me are asked to step back as white old men uh, so i do this and i'm quite confident that others are able to continue the fight and let's go on thanks You've been listening to Gogorin, the Eurozine podcast with authors and editors from our network of cultural journals from throughout Europe and beyond. You can read Klaus Legevi's essay, How to Get Rid of Autocrats in Eurozine. And our brand new anthology, The Legacy of Divis Division, is now published by CEU Press and can be ordered online. There's a link in the description to that. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review so more people can find us. We rely on your support. Every donation helps keep yours in free and independent. So if you appreciate our work, and we know you do, please support us for as little as five euros a month or whatever you can afford. Thank you. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you'll always know what's worth thinking about. I was editor-in-chief Reka Kinga Pop, and I hope you've enjoyed the program. <laughs>